Hi, this is Can We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're on the threshold of a new series today. You know, one of the hardest topics to preach on is sexuality, mainly because it's a sensitive issue, and sometimes there's a lot of baggage, and there are younger ears around, and how do we keep this appropriate for all who hear this message? Well, you know that John Fonville brings every topic back to the gospel, which is where we find our healing and hope. We look forward to more gospel encouragement today as we open up scripture. Here's John with Do You Not Know? Part 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. And this whole series is entitled simply this, Do You Not Know? Before we jump into the series, let's just read this passage together to get some context. And in case you haven't read it this past week, let's just read this together. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 9. And this is what he says, this is what the Apostle says. Do you not know? That's where we get the series title from right there. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Swindlers would be like, to help you there, swindlers would be like um, Ponzi scheme, uh, white-collar crime people today. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, the big transition right there. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. But, but the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know? Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know? You hear this repeated refrain? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, 
You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. Before we begin our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to look at it in extreme detail, I promise you. (laughs) I want to do, everything today is just going to be four introductory clarifying comments and just general, general statements, nothing specific. But trust me, in the weeks ahead, we're going to get very, very specific, not on the sin that is addressed, but on the remedy that is addressed for the sin because that's the focus of the passage. So, so let me just begin this morning with four clarifying statements about this whole series to help give you some context as to how to think correctly about this chapter and this particular subject of sexual immorality. First, all of us are human beings made in the image of God. If you look at Scripture, the Bible does not begin with the fall and the total depravity of man for human nature. If we begin there, if we begin with the fall and the total depravity of human nature, rather than God's good creation of Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we easily assume this is that human beings are just plain old rotten from the very beginning. We easily assume that human beings are void void of any goodness and intrinsic dignity. But the Bible doesn't begin by setting forth the fall of man and his total depravity. The Bible begins by setting forth the goodness of God's creation. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, there's a repeated frame, and it was good, and it was good. In Genesis 1, 31, and it was very good. What this means is this, is that human beings pre-fall were created basically good and in their intrinsic human nature. They were endowed with free will. I know some of you are uncomfortable with that, but they were. Human nature was endowed with beauty in both body and soul. Human nature was endowed with reason and moral excellence and great dignity. Simply put, what this means is that all humans were made in the image of God. And even, now listen, this is important, even after the fall, man still retains the image of God. But it has been greatly obscured and marred by sin. Now, why is that important? And what does this have to do with sexual immorality in the church? It has everything to do with it. Here's the important implication for us in relationship to this topic, and I really want you to listen carefully to this point, because this is very important. Because all men, by virtue of being God's image bearers and therefore still possessing intrinsic human dignity, even though the image has been marred and obscured by sin, there is no place in the church for discrimination or dehumanization of an individual who is trapped in any form of sexual, extramarital sexual illicit behavior. I just want to give you one quick example of this. 
Last month, I'm from North Carolina, last month, a pastor from, uh, 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 let me just put this in quotation marks, a pastor. He's not a pastor. But a pastor from Maiden, North Carolina, made national news when he called for the extermination of all gays and lesbians by locking them off behind an electrified fence and wait for them to die. Such a view like that is inhumane. It is unchristian. And it ought to be condemned a thousand times over by every Christian and every Christian leader in this country. That is sick. And that is not what the Bible teaches. All human, what does the Bible teach? Listen carefully. All humans are image bearers of God regardless of their sexual proclivity and their fallenness. And this demands that we respect all human life regardless of one's relationship to Christ. Michael Horton says it very good. He says this, quote, Only in Christ do we realize the salvation and the goal of our personhood by the gospel. And this is true. But the law binds us to our neighbors and co-bearers of God's image, which obliges us to treat them as persons. And so we have to remember that, listen, listen carefully. Whatever particular inclination or sexual struggle that you might experience in your heart, whatever extramarital sexual activity you may be guilty of, you are still made in the image of God and you are worthy of respect and dignity. Second, All of us are sexual beings. Our physical bodies, as well as our sexuality, our physical bodies and our sexuality are basic to our humanness. God created both. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God created us as physical beings. Listen, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God created the physical world, and he said, it's very good. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the physical world. It's, a good, it's very good. Second, God also created sexuality. He made man male and female. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Human sexuality created by God. This means this. We are not disembodied, sexless beings like angels. Because our physical bodies and our sexuality are basic to our humanness, this means that the desires for sensual pleasure are not bad. They do not indicate weakness or defect in human nature. The desires of the body for sensual pleasure indicates what it is to experience human nature as God created it. 
During the Reformation, John Calvin criticized his Roman Catholic, criticized Roman Catholic theology because Roman Catholic theology located sin in an alleged weakness of human nature itself. So just listen carefully to this, because this, this explains a lot of, this will take away a lot of problems that you have. <laughs> it really will. Michael Horton helps us here. He's, he's my professor. He's also a good friend and mentor, so I just use him a lot because he's one of the most helpful people to me. But listen to what he says here. He says, according to this view, that is that human nature has some defect because of these sensual desires. According to this view, human beings are related to God and the angels by virtue of their higher self, their mind and their soul. That's the real spiritual part but are not related to God like the animals by virtue of their lower self. That's the body and the appetites of the body. The physical part of the world, that's the bad part. That's the least spiritual part of us. This idea was influenced by Plato, not Scripture. This gave rise to the notion of concupiscence. Concupiscence is the desires of the body for sensual pleasure, Concupiscence, it is said, is not itself sin until it's acted upon. But it does suggest a weakness or defect in human nature as created by God. That's a serious problem. He says Aquinas, following Augustine, spoke of this concupiscence as the kindling wood for the fire of passion that leads to actual sins. Now, because of this wrong view of human nature, the church throughout the years has, throughout the centuries, has occasionally taught this, not occasionally, but a lot of times taught it, that married life was considered the lower form of existence. It's not evil, it's just a lower base form because it's part of the physical, sensual stuff that is not as super spiritual as the mind and the soul. And so marriage was simply given by God for procreative purposes and never ever for sensual pleasure because that's what leads to sin. Horton explains like this. He says it is this sensual animal aspect of our constitutions, they say, that drags us down from the heights of pure spiritual contemplation. John Calvin picked up on this Roman Catholic error in the Reformation, and he refuted it. He rejected this body-soul dualism that identified sin with the body. Because as we just saw, nowhere does the Scriptures teach that concupiscence is any way due to a weakness of human nature. The desires of the body, physical makeup of the human body, It's not a bad thing. And so Horton concludes like this. He says, the most fundamental problem with this view, says Calvin, is that it attributes sin to human nature as God created it. And what did we just say that God said was about human nature? He said said, it's very good. All of physical creation is good, very good. Against those who, and this is, what, this is what Calvin says, against those, quote, who dare write God's name upon their own faults, Calvin says they perversely search out God's handiwork and their own pollution when they ought rather to have sought it in that unimpaired and uncorrupted nature of Adam 
Not God, but we are guilty solely because we have degenerated from our original condition, which was very good. He says that our mortal wound comes not from nature itself, not from this physical existence, which is very good and intrinsic to being a human being. The mortal wound comes not from nature itself, but from its corruption through the fall. And so this leads us to a third introductory comment. All of us, here's the third point, all of us, we're not only sexual beings, but all of us are sexual sinners. Every one of us. Because of the fall, listen, because of the fall, rather than some supposed weakness or defect in human nature as created by God, Our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our wills are all under the enslavement and command of sin and death. Every part of our being, both immaterial and material, every part of our being is infected with sin, and this includes our sexuality that God created very good. God is not responsible for the defect of our human sexuality. He created it. He doesn't create things that are sinful. He doesn't create anything that has a proclivity to sin. He creates only things that are very good. And the whole physical world with the spiritual world is very good. Both are equally good. It's not that your mind and body is more spiritual and you're like a monk who just go out in the desert and I just think about God all day. But the rest of us, we go to work, and we're somehow less spiritual. No. The problem is this, is the fall. None of us are as bad as we could possibly be, but all of us in this room are, listen, equally corrupt, equally impure, and equally guilty before God. I can just prove it very easily in Romans chapter 3. All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. All of them. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped And so that the whole world may be accountable to God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3, which you should remember by now. If not, I'm going to refresh your memory. Galatians 6 verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Simply put, we have no reason to think that we are something, that we're righteous because of our law keeping, because nobody has ever come close to ever keeping God's law and what it actually requires for righteousness and for the ideal of sexual purity in this life. There's only been one man who has ever fulfilled God's ideal for sexual purity in this life, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus said like this, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
You're guilty. I'm guilty. Everybody in this room is guilty. And so John Stott says this. He says, we are frail and vulnerable. We are pilgrims on our way to God. We are very far from having arrived. We are engaged in an unremitting conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not yet have we conquered. Perfection awaits the parousia, the second coming of Christ. Because this is true, listen to what he says. There is no question, therefore, of coming to this study, this series, with a horrid, holier-than-thou attitude of moral superiority. Because all of us are sinners, We all stand under the judgment of God. We are all in urgent need of the grace of God. Besides, sexual sins are not the only sins, nor even necessarily the most sinful. Pride and hypocrisy are surely worse. That's a great statement by Stott. Sex And human sensual desire is not the problem. You need to understand that. That is not the problem. Sexuality is intrinsic to our being made in God's image. Would God create us to have a problem? I don't think so. The problem is that we're all fallen. The problem is that we're all sexual sinners. That's the problem. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. Tim Keller says it best. He says, sex, work, and money are great goods. They are intrinsic to our being made in God's image. But if God is second place in your life and one of them is first, you are cooked. That's the point. You see, such a fallen, broken state demands an enormous amount of concrete, specific gospel truth and applications of that gospel truth to that specific area of our sin. And that's what Paul is going to show us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul, like a rapid-fire machine gun, gives you gospel after gospel after gospel truth and implications for your life to defeat this sin. The reason you've got to have a massive amount of specific concrete gospel truth and the implications of that for this particular area of sin are for two reasons. Well, there could be more, but here's two. The Corinthians were, were, were saved out of an incredibly sinful past, and because of that, their pagan past, they were having a very, very difficult time getting freedom from this particular sin, just like you today. And only Paul shows that the only thing that can free you from this enslaving idol is concrete gospel truth, which grants freedom and healing for this problem. Second, the reason you've got to have concrete, specific gospel truth is because talking about the subject of human sexuality can provoke deep shame and hopelessness and huge amounts of guilt in people who struggle with this enslaving sin and are guilty of it, and they know it. The fact is this, is that this particular sin cuts to the deepest personhood of who we are, and it leaves the offender totally crushed every time. 
It causes deep frustration, guilt, hurt, and shame. And so before continuing on to the last point this morning, I want to stop and I want to speak to the person in this church this morning that is haunted by frustration, guilt, hurt, shame because of your failure. Listen carefully. There is no condemnation for Christians who struggle with sexual sin. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, man, that's surprising. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you better agree with it because this is what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, some of you, he said, such are some of you, but you are justified. If you're justified, you're not condemned. Um, for those of you who have a hard time with that, I recommend a book for you. It's, called, it's by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. And he lists about 15 of them in the book and deals with them. You're not condemned even though you daily walk in pride. But then why would you turn around and condemn another Christian who struggles with this particular sin because you think it's somehow worse? Thanks, John. That's Do You Not Know? Part 1. More from this series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.